You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, and you are listening to episode 286 of this podcast on Christmas Day, 2021. That was Acts chapter 20 verses 17 through 35, in which the Apostle Paul gives somewhat of a farewell address to the church in Ephesus, to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And I find it interesting, that last verse that I read for you, in verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In this context, that Paul is talking about his ministry, having shared the gospel, having preached the good news, having been earnest to preach the whole counsel of God. What does that mean, the whole counsel of God? Well, it means 
What does God have to say about everything? Not just salvation in a narrow sense, but life, reality, truth. I think it's great that Paul preached the whole counsel of God and did not shy away from any jot or tittle of God's word. So should we all follow his example, as he says in Philippians, to follow his example, Philippians chapter 4, as he closes out his letter to the church in Philippi. And on Christmas Day, it might be a temptation, it might be very much a inclination of ours to talk specifically about the nativity, and we will get into that. I do want to talk about the nativity a little bit more in depth, but I think it's important that we put the puzzle pieces together when we remember Jesus having been born to a virgin. The incarnation needs to be understood in context. What is the context of the incarnation? The context is that God created everything in the beginning. In six days he created, rested on the seventh. He placed man in the garden to keep it, to tend it, to be a gardener. He made man in his image, male and female, and he gave them a job to do. And that job was not burdensome or toilsome or grievous. It was beautiful, and it still is beautiful. That job of being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth and subduing it. Fill the earth and subdue it is a good thing for man to do. In fact, that's what we were put on earth to do. We were put on earth to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. We are here to spread God's image across creation and to provide representation for the Most High King of all creation in every sphere, in every sector, taking every thought captive, honoring God with the work of our hands, with the things that we say, with the thoughts which we entertain, with our emotional being, with our spiritual being, with our intellectual being, with our physical being, with every aspect of ourselves. The sum total of our purpose is for God and to God and with God and by God's grace, he enables us to do that. But the incarnation of Jesus was God's way of restoring a broken relationship with mankind, with humanity, fallen, sinful, rebellious, dead in our trespasses, separated from God. God sent his only begotten son into the world to restore his relationship with us, to make us right, to make things right between us and him. And so I find myself on Christmas Day, the father of seven children who've been born and one child due to be born any time now, hoping we can hold out for another couple of weeks Yesterday marked 35 weeks. 37 weeks would be ideal. And at this point, if we go that far, I will be pleasantly surprised and thankful for it. And 
if we go beyond 37 weeks, I will be very surprised. Right now, we are just trying to get to that 37-week mark. And for my part, I want to serve my wife well, protect her, protect my son, who has yet to be born, Andrew Matthias Mullet, is what we have decided to name him. And everyone's all right, but there's definitely a rumbling, like a storm coming, in that my wife is going through the early stages of labor, contractions and whatnot, and she can feel that her body's getting ready to bring Andrew into the world, as it were. And so we're thankful for that. We're excited about that. I would be lying if I claimed I wasn't in the least bit anxious, but what is it that Philippians 4 says? Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Make your requests known to God. So that is the goal, to be anxious for nothing, but sometimes we need reminding that that is the goal and we have to be intentional about it. And I'm in that place, I'll be honest with you. One might imagine having seven children already born. Some of them I've delivered, caught at home, just my wife and I. Some of them I've caught with the help of a midwife, present, overseeing, helping. All of them I've caught, whether at the hospital or at home. And one might imagine that at this point, my wife and I are casual and nonchalant about it. But every pregnancy, every delivery is difficult just because you've done it seven times and you're expecting an eighth. That doesn't mean that it is no longer difficult. Some of that anxiety, I would say, is reduced because we know what we're doing and we know how this goes and we have our expectations and by God's grace, those expectations will match more or less what we have experienced in the past. But it's still a miraculous thing which is hard to fathom. How can this child have been a part of our lives now for nine months, nearly, in our midst, hearing us for most of that time, responding very often to stimuli outside the womb, hearing us talking, hearing music playing, sometimes more active when certain people are talking, feeling if we put our hand on his mother's belly, he can feel that just like we can feel if he kicks while he's in there, he can feel our putting our hand on Lauren's belly. How can it be that he is here now, and yet we have not seen him face to face? We don't know him in the sense we expect to shortly. How can he be a person? How is it that this is where babies come from? This is how people come to be. You and me and everybody, everybody in the human race comes to be this way. Barring some person conceived in a test tube 
hatched in an artificial environment, which could be happening. People are probably trying to do that. Scientists are probably trying to do that. I don't know why, if they are, except that some people are so preoccupied with what they can do, they don't stop to think whether they should do it. But as far as I know, that's how all of us come to be. That's where all of us come from. Growing nine months, give or take some weeks, and then being born and being seen face to face. It is a wonderful, mysterious, miraculous thing. But I was thinking to myself this morning about the question which, Lord forgive me if I'm irritable about it, I find irritating. Don't you know how that happens? Does Garrett know where babies come from? Someone recently asked a group of men I was being introduced to. And again, I don't think anyone means something mean-spirited by it. I don't think they do. But of course, there is a mocking note that broader society, popular culture, freely takes with regards to my family. Don't you know how that happens? Don't you know where babies come from? And the rejoinder I want to give is, yes, do you? Do you know where babies come from? Do you know how that happens? I think as far as lay people go, we're somewhat the experts. And the majority of other parents are a bit novice by comparison. I've lost track of how many men have told me in the past couple of weeks as I've been making introductions that they don't know anybody who has seven children, much less eight, or an eighth on the way. I'm the only person they know with that many children. And of course, that stands to reason with the birth rate being such as it is. The population of the United States increased by 0.1% last year. And it does make me think of Isaiah chapter 3. My people, infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. A lot of folks have been led to believe that they shouldn't be having children because the earth is getting crowded. We are overpopulated already. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The experts that most people have been listening to, or if they've just been following the crowd, which is being herded like so many sheep by so many sheepdogs or wolves, have been led to believe that they should not have children. Because what's better than being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it is self-actualization, as Maslow would say. That is at the pinnacle of the hierarchy of needs. Food and shelter, security, sex, wealth, power, so on and so forth. Respect, esteem, self-actualization. I am going to realize my potential. Well, do you know what your potential is? Who told you 
what your potential is. What informs your belief about your potential? What do you really think is your potential? Why, with your view of your potential and my potential, do you feel so at liberty to look down on me for realizing my potential? You know, it occurs to me, perhaps our potential is greater than just how much can we retire with in our bank account. Our potential is greater than how high can we climb a corporate ladder. Our potential is greater than how many friends can we collect on Facebook. Our potential is greater than how big can we grow our salary every year. Or for a lot of single men, how many women can we go through? How many countries can we travel to? How much fame and fortune can we accumulate for ourselves? Perhaps our potential is far greater than what our guides have led us to believe. Perhaps we've been misled if we are oppressed by infants and ruled over by women. It should be very different than that. Life should be very different than that. And now, it's not the opposite. It's not that we should be oppressing our infants, but a child is a blessing. I think that popular American culture at present has a much closer view of children to what Herod had when he sent soldiers to Bethlehem to kill every baby boy two years and younger. Popular American culture has a much closer attitude to Herod than to Joseph. In the case of Joseph, you have this carpenter who is an honorable man who finds out that his fiancée, Mary, the woman, young woman to whom he is engaged, is with child. She is pregnant, and he has not touched her, and he won't touch her until Jesus is born. But Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, and at first he resolves to put her away quietly, to divorce her quietly, which speaks very highly of his character. He's not vindictive. He's not bitter. He's not trying to destroy her, which is all the better because she's actually not done anything wrong, quite to the contrary. He doesn't have all the facts, but he can be forgiven for assuming certain things based on the facts he does have. He is engaged to her. They are not married yet. He's not gotten her pregnant, but she is pregnant. Put two and two together, he concludes, I'm out. I'm going to quietly divorce her. So he's not trying to destroy her. He could have, in that day and age, he could have destroyed her once and for all. But he's going to quietly divorce her. And when the angel sent by the Lord to explain what's happened to Joseph, makes it clear to Joseph that actually this is the Messiah. Mary is pregnant with the Messiah. God has supernaturally sent his only begotten son into the world through a virgin, as was prophesied. And it needed to be that way because actually our sinful nature comes through 
the male line from father to son and daughter. All of humanity fell in Adam, not in Eve. Eve was the one who was deceived and she took the fruit and she ate of it and she shouldn't have when God had said, don't eat the fruit of this particular tree. The serpent tempted her and deceived her and she was deceived and she took the fruit and she ate it and she disobeyed God. Adam was not deceived. He made a conscious choice to disobey and in him, all of humanity fell and the only begotten son of the Most High God could not be sinless and be descended from Joseph. As honorable as Joseph was, Jesus had to be born to a virgin. And scoffers will say, well, yes, but lots of other myths in ancient times have claimed that this or that hero was born to a virgin. It's not a lot. There are a couple of others. Whether those myths are true, though, is quite another thing. I would say they're not true, but I would say that the story of Jesus is true. The nativity story, the coming of the Messiah, is true. But Joseph takes care of Mary, protects her, provides for her, as she is carrying the Messiah. That is his job. Before God, that's his job. That's his purpose. And he protects and provides for Jesus. After Jesus is born, an angel comes to warn Joseph in a dream that Herod has his sights set on aborting this newborn king. And so Joseph is warned and commanded to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt. Flee. Go into hiding. Protect. Provide for. And he does. And a lesser man would say, Joseph didn't ask for this. This is not what Joseph signed up for. Joseph could be having a good time making high-quality furniture, relaxing on a beach somewhere, self-actualizing. And yet, what could be a fuller realization of his potential than what he did do? Not divorcing Mary quietly, as he at first was set on doing, but taking Mary and baby Jesus, under his wing, under his protection, what could be a more full realization of his potential than that? It's a good thing for us that he did, by God's grace. Joseph leads, protects, provides for his woman and this child. The question needs to be asked to broader American society right now. Do you know where babies come from? I know where babies come from. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. 
Behold. That word means pay attention. Listen up. Behold. Look. Children are a heritage from Yahweh, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now think about this. What fool would go into a confrontation with his enemy at the gate and say, Oh, this gun, this gun on my hip has too many bullets. What a burden. What a waste of my time. What a waste of my potential and my energy that I would have to carry around this gun on my hip with 15 bullets in the clip. I'm going to take out all but one or two. I'll keep one blue bullet and one pink bullet, and then I'm done. And that's it. In fact, I'm going to change the clip to where it can't hold any more than two bullets. Yeah, don't give me a gun with eight bullets in it. Seven plus one, actually. Don't give me the forty-five caliber with one in the chamber and seven in the magazine. No, no, no. That's too many. No, that's foolish. That would be a foolish way to think of it. Particularly if you're going to talk with your enemies at the gate. Now imagine this. Imagine a scenario in which you have a house with some land and you've got a fence or a wall around your property. And you find out your enemies are headed your direction. They show up, they roll up on the street, come down the driveway, and they're stacked up. At least two, if it's enemies. At least two, and there's one of you. If there's any more than two, you might be in some trouble. Especially if they have not come to shake your hand and make peace. Presumably, your enemies show up at your house, at your gate, to threaten you. Or to make good on a threat they've already delivered. They've not come there to bring a fruit basket on Christmas morning. They've come to destroy you. Or at least to put you on notice. That if you don't back off on something that they want from you. Or they don't want you to get because they want it. Something you have that they want to take. Or something that you're both headed for. You're both competing for. That it, they don't want you to win out on. They might not be up for a straight up competition. And so they're going to come and they're going to pressure you. They're going to exert some pressure on you by threatening you. So at least two of them show up and there's one of you and there's two of them and they're at the gate. They roll up. Let's say they're there to rough you up or even kill you. And you're packing your sidearm. Hopefully you have a sidearm. Hopefully you have a quiver at all. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now imagine this scenario. Let's imagine you've got a derringer in your pocket. And again, there's at least two of them 
and one of you. You've got a double action trigger, and you've got one red bullet and one blue bullet, or one pink bullet and one blue bullet. And that's it. You decided that's all you want. Well, now what if there's three of them? What if they're armed as well? Now, let's change the scenario. Two or more guys show up at your gate to let you know. We've got a problem with you. We'd like to talk to you. We'd like to have a word with you. And on your hip is a 1911. 45 caliber. Seven rounds in the magazine. One in the chamber. Cocked and loaded. Ready to go. Safety off. They can see you've got eight rounds. That conversation you have with them goes a lot different. goes a whole lot different. It's a lot more polite. It's a lot more careful on their part. And you're a lot less nervous. That's what Psalm 127 is talking about, ladies and gentlemen. And what fool would say, no, 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 no. I don't want to have any children. Children are such a burden, such a nuisance. No, 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 no. What fool would say, I'm busy? Well, in our culture, sadly, tragically, vis-a-vis Isaiah chapter 3, a whole lot of fools have said, I don't want any children. I'm living my best life right now. I'm having fun. A whole lot of fools are not prepared to speak with their enemy in the gate. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. What if instead of listening to the so-called experts, the people with more degrees than intelligence or common sense or wisdom, what if instead of listening to the crowd and what everybody else is doing, we were going to God's word and reading the whole counsel of God that the Apostle Paul addresses the elders at the church in Ephesus regarding. I've been with you guys for years, and you know, and I can stand before God unashamed, that I shared the whole counsel of God with you. What if instead of listening to what blind guides have misled us again and again in telling us life is all about, we went to God and asked God what life is all about. What's his purpose? What's his unchangeable purpose? Because it hasn't changed. In fact, it can't, according to Hebrews in the New Testament. The character of God's purpose is unchangeable. Therefore, the same God who said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, who said to Noah and his sons and their wives, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, who said to the exiles in Babylon through the prophet Jeremiah, seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh your God has brought you in your exile, increase and do not decrease in the land. That same God rules and reigns right now. No one has deposed him. No one has unseated him. No one has taken his place. God is not dead, and we could not kill him if we tried. Nietzsche was wrong. The one we kill is ourselves. Our 
guides have misled us and swallowed up the course of our paths. You know, what's so interesting about that Turner phrase, swallowed up the course of your paths, it implies that the guides have misled the recipients of this prophecy from the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. The guides have misled these people for selfish gain, to benefit themselves. In fact, that still happens. I'm going to withhold information from you as I guide you, because if you knew this information, you would make a decision that wasn't profitable to me. But I'm going to guide you to make a decision that's profitable for me at your expense. At a certain point, you're going to realize that I misled you, that that was bad advice. But by that point, I'll be down the road. I'll be long gone and you won't be able to hold me accountable. That's the condition we find ourselves in right now. And in that context, the fact of the incarnation is very good news. The fact that Almighty God has demonstrated his willingness and his ability to speak to a young man in a dream, to warn him, Herod is coming for your baby boy. Flee to Egypt. Mary has not sent. Don't put her away. Marry her. Marry Mary. That should give us all of the comfort and security we could ever want or hope for. If we're worried about what the crowd might do to us, if we make that crowd feel insecure, threatened, like the men of Sodom, when they show up at Lot's house, the two angels have come to perform an extraction. They are getting Lot and his family out because judgment is nigh for Sodom. The men of Sodom show up at the house as if to drive the point home even further. They want these two men, as they think these angels are, to be sent out to the street to them so they can have sex with them. Hey, those are pretty good-looking guys. And we're depraved. And so we can't appreciate beauty without thinking of how it relates to gratifying our sexual desires. We're so twisted. And the men of Sodom think they have strength in numbers. They don't fear God, to put it mildly. And yet there too, Lot has no need to be afraid of those men tearing down his door, showing up at his gate. They're very offended when he tries to reason with them. Don't do this thing. We're going to do worse to you than we will to them. Who appointed you a judge over us? How dare you tell us we're wrong about some things? But again, that's the context also in which God promises again and again throughout the Old Testament that he's going to send the Messiah. That is the context. Quite honestly, God is showing off by intervening in circumstances where, humanly speaking, we don't have a chance if it's just us. God shows off. He shows up and he shows off so that his name is great. His name is known. 
if we allow ourselves to be misled by guides who only want to satisfy their own appetites, even at our expense, even to our detriment and destruction, at the end of the day, it's like King Baldwin says in Kingdom of Heaven. When I was 16, he tells Balian of Ibelin, I won a great victory. I felt in that moment I would live to be a hundred. Now I know I shall not see thirty. None of us know our end, really, or what hand will guide us there. A king may move a man, a father may claim a son, but that man can also move himself, and only then does that man truly begin his own game. Remember that howsoever you are played, or by whom, your soul is in your keeping alone. Even though those who presume to play you be kings or men of power, when you stand before God, you cannot say, but I was told by others to do thus, or that virtue was not convenient at the time. This will not suffice. Remember that. The context in which Jesus comes into the world, in which the incarnation happens, is one in which soldiers can be instructed by Herod to go to Bethlehem and murder every baby boy two years old and younger. And they do it because someone told them to, because they're afraid of what might happen to them if they don't. And yet the context of the incarnation is also one in which God sends an angel to speak with Zechariah and tell him that he and his wife, even though they're old and Elizabeth is barren, she's no longer able to have children. They are going to have a son named John. The context also includes a young, engaged woman named Mary and the angel coming to her and saying, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. The context also includes the angel coming to Joseph and telling Joseph, don't put this woman away. She's not sinned. She hasn't sinned against you. She hasn't sinned against God. She's pregnant with the Messiah. The context of the incarnation is not so one-sided that we have to worry about what Herod is going to do, what Herod's soldiers are going to do, what people will think, whether they're going to understand, whether they're going to get it. The context of the incarnation is our context right now. My wife and I expect our eighth child, and there's nothing about having eight children that makes us inherently holy, but we do want to consecrate our family, our planning, how we conduct our household, how we engage these decisions, how we steward what it is that the Lord blesses us with. We do want to consecrate that all and dedicate that all to God and to set apart our family to be holy because he is holy. But I find myself thinking any day now, today for all I know, Andrew is born and how wonderful it is that the context of my son being born is not one in which I have to worry that climate change is going to destroy the ability of the earth to support life. 
God upholds the conditions which allow life to be possible on planet Earth. God himself. God created those conditions for life on Earth, and God sustains those conditions for life. God has a purpose for there being life on Earth and for man being created in his image, male and female, filling the earth and subduing it. And the purpose of God cannot be thwarted. And the character of the purpose of God not only does not change, has not changed, it cannot change. It is unchangeable, the author of Hebrews tells us. Why should I be anxious? Why should you be anxious? We shouldn't. Quite simply, we shouldn't. You know, an interesting thing to me, a funny thing, I looked up Elon Musk here this week as I was watching through the interview he did with Babylon B, and he's been married more than once, which is sad. But according to Wikipedia, Elon Musk has seven children. Did you know that? How many people know that Elon Musk has seven children? Elon Musk, as smart as he is, as much of a game changer as he is, he's not concerned, first and foremost, about climate change right now. He's concerned about the implosion of our demographics because people have stopped having children. That's what Elon Musk is concerned about. And he hasn't made a big show of it. He's not made a big deal about it. But Elon Musk has seven children. Go figure which isn't to say we all need to have seven children or eight children. But if by God's grace we find ourselves with seven or eight children, maybe we're not the ones who are simple in the head. Maybe we're not the ones who missed the boat. Maybe, just maybe, by God's grace, it is an entirely good, praiseworthy, happy thing that we've been blessed with seven children and an eighth on the way for me. Look to the end. Think long-term. I want to read for you the story from the Gospel according to Luke, the story that I read to my wife and children yesterday morning before we opened stockings. The sun has come up. I can see through the blinds in my study. I expect when I finish this podcast, I'll find that Most everyone in the household is awake, or soon to be awake, ready to open up Christmas gifts. But I want to read for you from the Gospel of Luke, starting from chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who, from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, 
and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen. That, my friends, is the incarnation. That is just a snapshot of Jesus, the Son of God, coming to be one of us, to be our Savior, to be our King, to rule and reign forever, as He does now, to save us from our sins, to save us from death, like the sunrise for people who have been living in darkness their whole lives. Warming our faces, allowing us to see where we're going, what we're doing, that's the incarnation. As I say, My children are up. My wife, no doubt, is being harangued by the children. It's time to open gifts because it is better to give than to receive. I wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.